Welcome to Farming Eternal, an eternal podcast for farmers, hosted by me, Patrick Apatamaro, and Hats on Land. It's episode 99. For those of you tuning in for the first time, we are a draft-focused podcast. Our goal is to help you and me, mostly me, get better at draft. We get into the nitty-gritty of the drafting process with a little meta-analysis and play tips thrown in. So this week, we're doing everyone's favorite episode, the episode where we complain about rares. So, uh, Hats, are you excited? Yeah, I am excited. I like complaining about rares. Um, I think uh, without without bombs in uh, in draft, uh, it would get a little stale. But it never feels good when your opponent has some unbeatable card. And it feels great when you have it. <laughs> That's a little spice to the whole thing. Uh, but I think, I think the prevailing feeling is that some of the cards that you can get at rare are are unfair feeling so it's fun to complain about them i think the last time we did this is when severin was in the format or at least it was the last time that it was explicitly complaining <laughs> it was like that severin's unfair and so were a lot of these other cards uh and definitely some of the rares have that feeling now too uh and the big difference now is uh, that they don't cost six. They cost like two and three. <laughs> the, the unfair cards are cheap and playable now. So uh, so I think it's a, I think it's, I'm looking forward to complaining. Yeah. Yeah. The, the one thing is we, we only, our list is only 21 deep this time as compared to this in set nine, we had 25 rares we were set to talk about. Yeah, and I, I, I hemmed and hawed a, a lot about what to put on this list, because uh, some of them are not really that complainy. They're just strong rares that I would take over most of the uncommons in the set. It's really only the top 10 or so that are like, oh, this <laughs> I hate this card. <laughs> and I also didn't include any legendaries. Uh, there's a lot of legendaries in the format that are, that are, are blatantly unfair, but... Um, uh, you'll run into those rarely enough that it's not worth complaining about them. Just like, oh, well, my opponent lucked out or I lucked out, and that just changes the whole game for a while. Yeah, and I did notice that even with a week to think about how to break Imar, you did not add it to the list. No, I did not. I, I don't think Imar is playable, let alone <laughs> a palm. <laughs> I know. It's, it's unbelievable. You you sent me a message saying that you got a seven-win deck with... Uh, diplomatic immunity and yet I did. yeah i haven't tried with imar is the is the thing <laughs> one of the reasons i don't have a seven win deck with imar is that i have not drafted imar or played it <laughs> oh man sally you should have been there that one draft you could have had about three of them yep could have well, i was that not, <laughs> was not that person drafted. nor would i have done it what that deck we drafted where we potentially had four clear the ways. Yeah, that could have really been a, a, an amazing draft that never won any games. That really could have been awesome. <laughs> All right, so let's move to announcements. Um, this is where we thank our patrons. So it worked. Took me two weeks, but after claiming that Demo had gotten their food and then not sending it, but then admitting to it, being open about it in last week's episode and promising to do it by this episode, I managed to go to the post office this week. Popcorn is on the way. I've got a tracking number and everything. That's great news. Yeah. So 
if you two want to get in on this popcorn receiving saga <laughs> with week to week updates, if you want to be part of the popcorn odyssey, yeah. <laughs> Maybe maybe if it maybe something happens next week, we can give like a tracking update on the popcorn. Uh-huh. As it, Demos popcorn. Yep. Yep. As it get, as it arrives at Demos house. That's, maybe that can be one of our Patreon goals. <laughs> it's is 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 updates, live updates. Our new uh, Twitter handle, like uh, tracking the popcorn. Tracking after. the popcorn. Yep. Yeah, that's that is an idea. That is an idea that we've had now. <laughs> yep. But uh, considering it's been four weeks since you asked me to consolidate the tips and tricks of Revelations uh, channels on the Discord, and I haven't done it yet, Yep. not feeling great about this. <laughs> <laughs> like that motivational strategy isn't quite, isn't quite working? Not yet. Not feeling great about me adding a, making a new Twitter handle. Okay. So that's not going to happen, but it is an idea that we've now stated. Yes. So who are our patrons? <laughs> <laughs> All right. So anyway, thank you, patrons. So thank you, Demo, Steve Irwin, Cotillion, Loki, Trickster, Mercurio Blue, Abednego, Meagles, Madness, Darth Herman 2, Twin Hex, Judd the Hamred, Raven Dragon, Esrid0215, Sunblaze, Worked on Sun, and Yistout. Thank you. And the thing I appreciate most this week is one of the reasons I never check the Patreon page is because I just assume everyone will have canceled their subscription. And so I get very nervous going to Patreon, the Patreon page. And guess what? No one canceled their their subscription recently. It was very exciting. (laughs) That's very exciting. It was very exciting. I was so surprised. I was so surprised. That yeah, every name I've read is still a patron. It's a real fans of ours that enjoy our work. It's great. Yeah, it was I heartwarming. I was heartwarmed. The one, the one thing I have to mention is that it's very nice. But at least one, at least one of our newer patrons is now regularly complaining bitterly about the current draft format. So I feel a little bad. <laughs> that isn't our fault. <laughs> we didn't design the cards. But um, but it's still it's still a shame <laughs> that that the newest draft format isn't treating them well. But uh, on other announcements, we did get the dates for the next draft open. We did. Oh, yes. I, that, this is news to me. Yep, it is. I think August thirteenth. Yes. Okay. Oh, well, that's the, a fair ways off. They have a chance to ruin this format completely by then. Yes, it is two weeks after the expedition open, which is kind of close together because that's at the very end. It's like um, July 30th, August 1st kind of thing. That's kind of good news, though, because unless the I mean, I maybe I'm just spouting off without having read pertinent information. But if they change up the expedition format before the, the expedition open, they'll probably won't they probably won't change it again before the draft opens. So the maybe, um, you know, uh, bot packs won't be as much of a problem. Yes, I did think that. But then the two formats last time were weirdly close together too. And they managed to, to change that. So... All right, well, we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But anyway, the dates are announced. It might not be August 13th. It's the weekend that's very close to that number. Okay. All right. Cool. So how was your draft week? Speaking Good. of preparing for this draft open. 
Well, uh, my draft week was good. I am doing well in draft. Uh, I am. I, I think last time we talked, I had been rank one and was struggling to compete to keep it a little bit because there were a few people um, playing and, and gunning for that position. Uh, yeah, there was a new player, a name I hadn't seen before in rank two recently. Uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I don't remember it, but I know who you're talking about. Um, I haven't actually played against them at all, as far as I know, so I think we're we're not on the same uh, play cycle. Uh, but I am now solidly rank one for a few days. Uh, I've I've had a couple of seven win drafts since reaching rank one, so it'll be tough to pass me. Yeah, I, and... I noticed. <laughs> would you would you like to complain now about this? <laughs> no, it's okay. I did it in Discord. I did it in Discord. Okay. Uh, what what uh, what Patamar is referring to is uh, that I was observing a game of his. Um, and which he lost narrowly, and then I frustratingly, up frustratingly, uh, with many possible top decks that could have won the game for him. And then I immediately queued up uh, another match because I was ready to play another match with my current deck. But uh, Patamaro also did that, so we were matched against each other. Uh, and I had a pretty strong and mean Ricano deck. Uh, and won that game. <laughs> so it felt a lot like I was Q-sniping him, which, of course, I wasn't on purpose, but uh, uh, <laughs> I felt bad anyway. Genius or grifter, audience? Genius or grifter? Yeah. Why am I ranked number one? Is it because I'm Q-sniping my friends? <laughs> hmm. It would take so much work to do so, but I guess that is a strategy that a human being could have in order to get ahead in Eternal, a game that no one cares about. <laughs> and yet seems to have a strong effect on all of our moods. It does, it does. If I'm losing in Eternal, that is it for my day. Uh, <laughs> it will damage my relationships. So I'm doing fine, um, but also it's a huge disincentive to actually play the game once you reach that point. So I've been watching a lot of Twitch streams. So a lot of my information about the game now is from observing other people playing it. Well, that's graphic? good, because a lot of my information about the game is you talking about things that you have observed on Twitch streams. So Is it? That's good. We're working from the same library, then. Excellent. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So shall we move on to card of the week? Sure. Let's do that. So what's your card of the week? Uh, my card of the week is Plunged Into the Sea, which is a real card that exists in this game. <laughs> it's, it's Unlike a... having a bad day, to be clear. <laughs> yeah. it's um, <laughs> That doesn't exist, but should. <laughs> Uh, it's a spell that costs three primal, plunged into the sea is. It says, uh, transform a unit into a 5-5 beast and stun it. I have never drafted and played this card. I think it's bad. But I have played it. I have played against it a couple of times, uh, and it was bad for my opponents. <laughs> so, I, I just wanted to, uh, I guess, run the idea of this card, my ideas about it by you and see if you agree, because it's not a card that anyone talks about on the Discord or anywhere else. Uh, but I have seen it in play a few times. 
So before you begin talking about this card, I just want to say in full disclosure, I have lost to this card. Now, did you lose to someone transforming their own unit into a 5-5 beast? Yes. Okay. So that's, I think, the best case for this card. That's the ceiling is I upgrade my unit and then a couple of turns later I attack with it. Or maybe the, the, the very next turn, is that right? Or does it stay stunned for another it turn? It would be one more turn. Okay, so you transform your unit, uh, and then the next turn, it's still out of commission, and then the turn after that, now you've got a 5-5 to attack with. Or is that wrong? That's right. That's right? Okay. So that's that's a, that's a, a lot of time for a unit to be out of commission, and in a fast format like this one, I, I think uh, that's often a mistake. The other thing you can do with it is if you have a tempo deck, you can stun one of your opponent's units and then try to win the game before the 5-5 comes back online uh, uh, to outclass your board. I have never seen anyone use it that way. It seems to be used as an upgrade. But the way the way I'm thinking of this card is that it's a little bit like Thorn Beast, which is a 3-3 three, three for 3 shadow uh, that says you can sacrifice a unit... Um, to give it plus two, plus two. So that's a five, five for three as well, but it's never stunned and you can play it as a three, three for three. <laughs> and and I think if it also said, uh, like you have to sacrifice a unit to make this, and also this comes into play stunned, I would not be taking Thorn Beast. <laughs> so th that's pretty much where I'm at with this card is that it's just too it's using two cards to create a stunned 5-5 five five just is not worth it. The juice isn't worth the squeeze, you know? Yes. I think the fact that, for me, uh, I, the legendary of the last set, I think, Thunderous and Snooze, or Snooze and Thunderous, yeah. which was the 5-cost 8-8 eight eight with Killer that stunned itself when it came into play. Yep. That card always felt too slow for me, at least in the decks that I drafted, and I would often die <laughs> with it stunned, or it would be killed because your opponent has two turns to deal with it. Um, and that, I think, is more impressive than Plunged Into Sea. And that card never did anything, really. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's a good comparison. Uh, Thunderous and Snooze was more expensive, and so it was even worse to have something come into play stunned at that point in the game. Like, Plunged into the Sea, you've still got some some health to work with on turn three, uh, so you might have time to have one of your units sit around doing nothing for a couple of turns. But still, I think this is an interesting card in the sense that it's kind of a trap for... Um, for players who uh, want to play cool cards in draft, but maybe aren't evaluating them uh, to their highest potential, you know? Because I looked at this card when it was spoiled, and I was like, oh, I kind of want this to be good, but I there's no way I'm ever actually drafting and playing it. Yes. Yeah, I, I agree. I think what's the Ravenous Thorn Beast is a really interesting comparison because... You know, Ravenous Thorn Beast sort of has the two modes that you described. It, you can play it as a three-cost three-three, or you can play it as a three-cost five-five, where you sack a unit. And Plunge into the Sea has this 
it, in a similar vein, it has two modes. You know, it can be sort of a tempo removal spell or a unit upgrade. But because the unit upgrade, like, it's sort of bad at both of those jobs. So it, it doesn't really, you know, the in one sense, the flexibility is there, but you're still not getting enough out of it, I think, to make it worth it. Yeah, yeah, you're, you get your choice of really bad cards. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, it is a transform effect, though, so if they ever make transform a major theme in a future draft set and then put this in the draft packs, I'll be interested to play with it. Mm -hmm. Like, if both stun and transform our major mechanics. <laughs> like, and this would be a perfect thing to reprint for the draft packs. Yeah. Anywho, uh, I... Well, there are things like, you know, cop, you know, create a copy of a transformed unit, in which case you'd just be getting a 5-5 five five that's not stunned or something. That's true. That would be a janky but awesome draft deck. Um, um, so I have a bonus card of the week. Should we do that? I, we should do that first because it inspired yours, right? Um, yeah, I, I think we can do this first. Yes. Yeah. So this the bonus is uh, not actually in uh, is not actually a draftable card. It is the promo card that was just spoiled today. Um, it's available to to pick the day that we're recording this, uh, and I just think it's interesting, and I'm hoping that it has an effect on on draft in the future. Uh, so it's called Gem Blazer Cannon. It is a three fire plus three plus three weapon, a unit weapon. It says when the wielder attacks, Gem Blazer Cannon heats up. If it was already heated, it gets plus three strength and overwhelm this turn, then cools down. So it has two states. It's hot or it's cold. And that is a new currency that they've never had in the game before. And I am hoping that they just make this an actual mechanic and then put it in the next like major card release set. And then it's part of draft because I think it's great. It reads really well. I know exactly what this does <laughs> reading it. The, the cannon gets hot and then it has an effect and then it cools down. They can have some cool visual effects so you can see whether the card is hot or not. Awesome. There's all kinds of great things that uh, that they can do mechanic-wise um, to to make cards uh, have that duality about them, so that they can exist in two different interesting states. And I think that has a lot of potential for the future. Also, I don't know what I would take over this if this were actually in a draft pack. I'd be like, great, put all the Gem Blazer cannons in my deck. It's a three-three weapon for three. That gets plus three over uh, plus three strength and overwhelm every other attack. <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah. I am glad that this specific card is not in draft. Yeah, it would take over. Uh, so let's let's talk about your card of the week. Well, but before we get to that, I okay. I I do think it is a really a really cool mechanic, and I do hope they. Uh, they do something with that. You know, the one they do this sometimes with the campaigns or these um or these promos where they have these like cool cards with cool concepts that, that could work in draft. You know, the one that comes to mind is this was from uh Homecoming, so uh quite a while ago, but Door Knocker, which was the uh 
it was buffed, but so now it's a, a three fire fire plus one plus zero weapon that says double damage. And then if you have no units, you can play door knocker wielded by a zero three helpful door bot. Yeah. So for three, you get a one three with double damage. Yeah, and that would play in play well in draft to have weapons that that came with wielders if you didn't have another unit to put them on that's something that magic the gathering did a, a while ago uh, and who knows maybe they did it again i haven't played uh magic yeah they in a actually while. they actually brought back the living weapons in the newest uh modern horizon set uh interesting okay. enough but yeah like this was a card where you're like oh wow that'd be really cool in draft and like there's definitely like more design space and i kind of expected them to build off of this because they put it in a campaign in a totally sort of not constructed playable state. Um, <laughs> and so, so like, why does the card exist? If yeah, to... and so you, you you would think it would be like for future, you know, sort of as a testing ground for future design, um, which it has not yet. But uh, granted, they they continue to make sets, so there's no saying it won't happen and um and then with the new promo i do think it's cool that uh they do sometimes play with the fact that it's a digital game and like rules can be slightly ambiguous or sort of flavorfully worded um without too much consequence and um yeah, the fact be... that they had to introduce a new variable into the programming in order to make this thing work makes me feel like they should use it again. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the Magic the Gathering mechanic from Amonkhet. It's a little different, but um, exert. When you attack, you could exert, which in Amonkhet meant you sort of stunned your unit so it didn't untap the next turn. And then you get a you would get a bonus effect. And while this doesn't like stun itself, it kind of has that like you can sort of choose to give it a different state or actually even the new card waxing and waning moon you know where yeah. you're a single card has these this duality of states so it, it definitely seems like a space they're playing more in yeah and i and i like it i like having i like having cards um i like complex cards that are somehow simple enough to understand uh, while still having a lot of uh, a lot of potential in, in in various directions, I don't know how to say that any more clearly. But but like the cannon, the gem blazer cannon is a pretty complicated card, but it's not complicated all at once. You know, like it's it's a card that starts simple and then is dangerous and then gets simple again. So it's not taking up a lot of mind space, but it is it's still a a, a card that that introduces a whole layer of strategy. So yeah, I hope they, I hope they do more with it and they, the, the story potential of having cards that are more powerful when they're hot, like lends itself to sentinels. It lends itself to maybe some species of lava creatures. I think it is potentially really interesting. Yeah. And, and then as you mentioned, my, my card of the week is kind of inspired by this. Uh, you, you sent a few question marks when I posted this in the show notes, uh, because the card I wanted to talk about this week was Heretic's Cannon. And um, for those of you who don't uh, remember, Heretic's Cannon is from a long, long time ago, set six. And it is a six-cost fire card, like weapon, 
that gives plus two, plus two, overwhelm, and when the wielder attacks, double its attack this turn. And the promo kind of... Heretic's Ganon is a card that I think about sometimes because it was sort of the mythic uncommon uh, of its format back in the day. And it also has never come back. So it's the last time it was an expedition uh, was October 6, 2019. So almost two years ago now was the last time it could have possibly been in the format or draft packs. Yeah, that's a while. I, I, I remember Heretic's Canon because it was about the time when I got sort of got back into Eternal after a very, very long break. Um, and it, it was the first time that I like decided to get good at draft. And Canon was the scourge of the format at the time. It was. And I guess what's what I always think is interesting is Direwolf hasn't shied away from putting these like really quote unquote obnoxious uncommon cards back into formats. You know, if you like think about other uncommons that people have complained about a lot, like um, Waystone Gate or the Invoke Cycle, these are like cards or even the displays. These are cards that have come back multiple times in boosted form in draft packs. And it's always kind of interesting to me that Heretic's Canon has never come back. We, we're in now in the 22nd expedition format, and it hasn't been in, in an expedition format, and therefore the draft packs in since expedition number two. Yeah. Yeah, and, I, it is interesting. And it's, I guess it, it just like makes me wonder if this is like a conscience a conscious choice like did they decide that maybe heretics canon was too powerful and unfun or is it just like uh you know just like a card that would never you know that i don't know it just like makes me wonder like would it even be good now it's still probably pretty good but like six cost is also a lot as cards have gotten more powerful now too yeah, that's true, um, but it 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 is a it is a card that immediately wins the game. <laughs> so it's a good thing to have at the top of your curve. I I can't even think of anything else that has quite the that much of an effect where it's almost certainly going to end the game as soon as you reach six power. I mean, I think the closest is this is seven power but would be behold the truth in this format yeah yeah which i think you're paying one more power for it but is probably doing more damage than heretic scanning on average yeah that's true it does more damage but at a certain point you've done enough damage yeah because uh, i remember heretic's cannon being pretty much uh, exactly as likely to end the game as behold the truth is now yeah, and and it's so uh, it's just kind of interesting to me that they haven't brought this back, but then they print what I guess I would consider an equally, if not more powerful card, and behold the truth. Yeah, 
I guess um, I guess uh, maybe they thought that Behold the Truth took a little more work to to be lethal. I'm not sure. Yeah. Yeah, and then that, so that makes me wonder is like maybe you know for a long time I thought like maybe they're not putting it in the format because it's was too powerful and unfun. But as but it, this just makes me think maybe it's a a forgotten card now. There's a lot of cards that they haven't reprinted in a while that I think would would play very well. It does yeah. feel like there's sort of an unofficial blacklist on on certain cards that seem like they would be good in a draft format, but maybe they don't want them to exist in Expedition. Who knows? It seems unlikely that Heretic's Cannon would be too strong for Expedition because anything yes. that costs six is going to be powerful in a constructed format. Yes. And then, like I said, they keep bringing back the... In- they haven't done it very recently but they brought back the invoke cards multiple times which in a some sense felt more obnoxious to play against than heretics canon certainly um, certainly wind wind channeling did so anyway it, it, it allowed me to reminisce the, the new promo sort of made me reminisce about this card and since we've been talking about nearly every single card in <laughs> revelations i figured i would i would pick a, a card that was not not in revelations to talk about yeah my only choice for for card of the week is is cards that nobody plays <laughs> since <laughs> we haven't already talked about them yeah exactly that's why i've been trying to pick uh, cards that are either in the draft packs or haven't been seen in two years <laughs> yeah next card of the week will be just uh will be just a hearthstone card <laughs> exactly Next, we usually talk about our seven-win run breakdown um, because people have been posting seven-win lists fast and furious in the Discord. Um, John Holio uh, is actually off for the next few weeks, so I (laughs) sort of like uh, (laughs) sending popcorn to Demo. I had the thought that maybe I would update the spreadsheet, uh, but then uh, reality hit, and um, I was unable to do that this week. Next week's not looking great <laughs> either. All right. Um, so, but we do have a link to the spreadsheet. Oh, I guess the spreadsheet's not updated. So there's no good news here. Yeah, there's no there's no good news. The The good news is you should join the Discord if you're not in it. And everyone's deck lists are posted there. So they're not in the spreadsheet yet, but you can scroll. Um, you know, Alabazoo, who is a Discord user, frequently, you know, does a, a control F to see what cards are showing up in uh, in that channel. And that's uh, that's a thing they like to do to help them decide on cards is see how other people are using certain cards when they come up in, in draft picks. So that is also a possibility. Either I have a lot more free time and figure out how to do this, or, and this is also not looking good, we have a shorter episode and so my editing time is less and then I have more free time. But if, if neither of those things happen, then we have to wait and hope that John Holyoke eventually comes back to us and starts updating. You have never been more missed, John. <laughs> never in your life. <laughs> so the long and the short of it is that we don't have a seven win run breakdown this week. We don't we don't even have contributors because we don't know who contributed because we figure that out by entering their lists into right. a spreadsheet. So thank you everyone who has contributed, but uh, you will have to wait uh, to hear your name read aloud. Yeah, and Hats is 100% doing that list when John comes back. Holy yeah. sweet. 
<laughs> yeah, I will. I'll I'll have some I'll have some nice warm tea beforehand. I'll limber up. It'll be nice. Yeah, we're just gonna have one episode. <laughs> <laughs> and that's our show. <laughs> List of contributors. All right. So uh, on to our main topic. So like we said, we're talking we're talking slash complaining about rares this week. But before we do that, uh, I thought we would discuss what our top five uncommons because we kind of last week we talked about a bunch of uncommons but i i think we didn't mention a final authoritative stamp of approval farming eternal list of top uncommons no uh and that uh could could be an oversight um, but i also don't like authoritative stamps (laughs) or making them so that might be the other reason we didn't do it yeah. Whenever I ask Katz to make a list, he says he doesn't like lists. And then whenever I give him free reign on the show notes, he makes 21 card lists. I did make a 21 card list for this show. Yes. <laughs> and then and then as uh, <laughs> like some kind of weird mind game said on the show just now that I don't like making lists. I am a mysterious creature. Anyway, so here's our list, uh, which hats is tepidly approved yeah I, that, that's accurate is that uh, number one orange jailer which is the three justice three three uh minotaur soldier when you attack with exactly two units orange jailer gets plus one plus one amplify play detain amplify one play detain and then hypnotic <laughs> valkyrie uh the five cost shadow shadow four four flying amplify two play madness uh, number three, Sky Sweeper, which is the three justice two two uh, Sentinel with stealth and an ultimate at the start of your turn. Discard a card, reveal Sky Sweeper to get to give it plus two plus two and flying. Uh, Behold the truth is number four. One just or one sorry one time spell. Your units get plus one plus one and overwhelm this turn. Amplify six. Your units get an additional plus three, plus three this turn. And then we kind of had a debate about what our number five would be. So there's two honorable mentions here at five. Oathbook Officer and D'Angelo Might. So Oathbook Officer is the four Justice Justice 2-1 with double damage. Summon, silence an enemy unit or play a 1-1 Steadfast Deputy with Aegis. And D'Angelo Might, which is a five Shadow Shadow spell draw card equal to the highest attack among your units so i kind of said i would take oath book officer uh fifth and hats was on d'angelo might yeah uh and so when the, the criteria i i used to create this list of rares um what we normally do is uh, which which rares do you take over the best uncommon? But when it comes down to it, there's not a lot of rares I would take over Orin Jailer. Uh, it's just an incredibly strong card, and uh, so it would have been a maybe ten cards or less, like eight cards maybe. So in order to have a slightly longer list, um, I <laughs> and have something to talk about this episode instead of just complaining about eight cards <laughs> endlessly. Uh, I, I disqualified Orin Jailer and Hypnotic Valkyrie 
uh, from the list and instead chose Skysweeper. And Skysweeper is a is a card that's undoubtedly powerful, but also extremely vulnerable. And so I don't pick it enthusiastically the way that I do the other two. Um, and then I guess Behold the Truth also kind of qualifies as a as a card that maybe you just take first over almost anything if you were somebody who has had a lot of success with it. I can't speak to that. I haven't had a lot of success with Behold the Truth decks. Um, and that's just kind of a variance thing, I think. Like the strategy that I've been working, that I've been using for this format has been working very well for me. And I haven't been able to make these sort of Combray Behold the Truth decks work. So I, I just haven't played with the card that much. So I can't use that as a benchmark for making lists. So I'm using Skysweeper, and these are the rares that I would take pack one, pick one over Skysweeper, uh, unless uh, it sounds insane when I actually say it out loud with any of these, and then I'll take it back. <laughs> but that's the criteria that I use to make the list. 21 rares I would take over Skysweeper. All right, shall we start? Let's start. Number 21, Iron Priestess. This is a 2-Justice two 2-2 two, two, uh, Tinker Soldier unit. It has Valor, and if you have at least one Justice influence, when Iron Priestess goes to your Void, create and draw a weapon with strength and health equal to her strength and health. Uh, Iron Priestess is a kind of a neat card. It's not a bomb that I think anyone would complain about. We're not at that point yet, the complain point. Um, but it is a card that I think generates a lot of value. Because it has Valor, it will often be a situation where if you can actually kill an Iron Priestess, it'll make a 3-3 or better weapon. And then that can go on a flyer, it can go on any other unit. Uh, just have, getting a free weapon uh, on an, from an already difficult-to-block unit uh, is a lot of value in one card. So, so you, it's a solid first pick for me, and i definitely take it over Skysweeper because it um, is more consistent, and I love two-drops in this format. Strong two-drops are the best. Yeah, my, my two thoughts on this is the first time an opponent played this against me, I misread this and assumed it played a relic weapon, and then spent all of these turns trying to get into a situation where I could kill it and not get totally blown out by a relic weapon, and then I finally killed it, and then... Um, it wasn't a relic weapon, and I was very surprised. Yeah, I think if it were a relic weapon, then this might be in complain territory because <laughs> that would be that would turn yeah that would turn the card into removal. It also doesn't play the card right away, uh, which is good if it's a unit weapon because you want to be able to choose where that weapon goes. But if it if this card were slightly reworked to automatically play a relic weapon when this went to the void or something, then yeah, it would be even stronger. Um, but also this has the advantage that a lot of other cards in this format have, where if you discard Priestess or mill it from your deck, you still get the weapon. And then my other thought I had is, I noticed this uh, time card doesn't make our list, spoiler alert, mm -hmm. and that is a Thunderfist Striker, uh, which yeah. is... The two-time 2-2 two -two Valor, when Thunderfist Striker hits the enemy player, she gets plus two, plus two until the end of your next turn. And that's one of the many cards that I kind of hemmed and hawed over when I was making the list. And when it came down to it, if I saw Skysweeper and Thunderfist, I would take Skysweeper. Okay. Uh, because th although I do love a strong two-drop uh, a, a and, and Thunderfist 
uh, is a strong two drop. I, I don't find it unmanageable when I'm playing against it, and I don't find it incredibly strong when I start with it. It's a good card. Uh, it's one of many two twos with Valor that you can play on turn two in this format. Uh, but uh, I would rather play an Ursa Squadron because I'm getting Warcry off of it. And yes. it's just as hard to block. Yeah, so it's just kind of interesting to me that like the delayed value of Iron Priestess is better than sort of the immediate value value that you get with a uh, Thunderfist Striker. Yeah, and I think that plays into something that I I mentioned last week, which is that I tend to value cards very highly that give me options. Um, the, like the fact that this that that Iron Priestess lets me adjust my um, that adjust my aggressive strategy on a turn after it dies or goes to the void, um, it gives it a lot of value in my mind because I can I can I can uh, adjust to what my opponent is doing. I have two like Iron Priestess gives me two chances to destroy my opponent's defense. Once on turn two, where they have to come up with something that that blocks a two-two with Valor, and then again afterwards when um, when I have my choice of where to put the weapon to make their blockers as ineffective as I can. Whereas Thunderfist has no options. <laughs> Either it can attack or it can't. And once your opponent finds a way of dealing with it, the it's it's done. That's all, all all that's the entire capability of the card. So in terms of raw power, it might be a little better than Iron Priestess. But for a drafter like me, where I am trying to increase my options and decrease my opponent's options, Iron Priestess is clearly a superior card. Yeah, yeah. Thunder Strikers, uh, Thunderfist Strikers, actually almost in one sense more similar to like a barricade basher in that like you play it you if you can play it early you hit it once and it's then a four four valor attacking every, you sort of have to attack every turn if you still want to keep your bonuses um and, so, and your opponent also has the option if they ever get a unit that they're willing to throw away as a chump blocker to mm -hmm. reduce the thunderfist striker back to a two two because it has to actually hit the opponent's face to to stay a four four, um, so your opponent always has that option to kind of turn the thunderfist back into a threat that they don't have to worry about anymore. Whereas with right. barricade basher, it just stays a five five, so they have to outright kill it to stop it from being a threat. That's true. Okay, so maybe it's not even as good as basher. All right. So th what's your next rare? Number twenty, justice sketch. Uh, this is a power card. It comes into play depleted unless you have already played a sigil this game, and it has Amplify 5, play a research lab, um, and it, of course, gives you justice influence. Research lab is a relic um, that lets you pay 5 once per turn to double a unit's strength and health. And uh, I think this is the third best sketch. That's a spoiler for how many sketches I actually put on this list. Um, and it's a slow card, no question. Five is a lot to pay, and often you can't even make the relic because you just need this thing as a power, and you need to be able to spend it. But on a stalled board, there is almost nothing other than actual Behold the Truth that I would rather have <laughs> because yeah. you will win the game if you have a research lab in play. 
Uh, you don't have to keep doubling the same unit. You can double wherever it makes your opponent's defense bad. Um, it's uh, like, and then every unit you draw uh, is is going to be a major threat because it doesn't take long uh, to make even a very small unit way too big to handle. Yes, exponential growth grows very fast. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, this is, um, I, I, once you're, like, I've been in situations in this format where my opponent has a, has a research lab and I don't have an immediate way to win the game. And those are the times when I'm like, this is, I'm not going to die this turn or next turn or the turn after, but I think I'm going to die. <laughs> yes. All right, then. Uh, yeah, it's, it's actually, well, yeah. I guess the interesting thing is the fact that you only have three sketches on here because initially we um, the Discord at least seemed very high on the sketches and you know Gunner uh, was talking about taking all sort of all five sketches incredibly high. I think the the next one that I didn't quite put on the list that maybe I'm wrong about is the primal one uh, because it. It costs six, and it draws a card each turn if you can afford the six. And it just feels like the format is a little too fast for that thing to actually mean any anything significant. Plus, you have to be in primal to play it, and that's the, I guess you don't have to be in primal to play it. All the sketches you can splash. Um, but I haven't had a lot of luck in in control. Uh, I would certainly play the primal one uh, if I had a deck that I thought could stabilize pretty consistently, but it's not a card that I would first pick over Skysweeper, whereas Justice Sketch, I would. Yeah, okay. Number 19, Crackling Bobble. Uh, that's a 7 Primal Primal. At the end of your turn, draw a card, and uh, it's a Relic, sorry. Uh, at the end of your turn, draw a card and deal its cost and damage to the enemy player. And uh, I, I guess I just said that a card that costs six was too expensive and slow, but you only have to pay this once. And what I've noticed about control in this format, and uh, and you correct me if I'm wrong because I haven't drafted a lot of control, uh, is that you kind of need a, a bomb, and it, the bomb probably has to be rare or legendary because they didn't put bombs at uncommon in this format. Uh, they didn't put very many of them. It's not like Waystone Gate... And like the the giant mandrake that bounces something like there's they didn't put finishers at the uncommon slot, not very many of them anyway. So you kind of need something at the top end that really finishes the game. Uh, and Crackling Bobble does that. If they can't kill a relic, and there's not that many cards that directly kill relics, eventually Bobble is going to win the game. And what it does is that it takes the responsibility of winning the game off of your shoulders entirely. It will win the game on its own. It's drawing you an extra card every turn, and sometimes it's smashing your opponent in the face. So all you have to do after you've cast the bobble is not die. It's a pretty effective way to win the game. Because <laughs> now you, do, you can attack if you manage to get ahead on board, which you're likely to do because you're drawing two cards per turn. Um, but you don't have to do it immediately. You've got the long game locked, and you don't have to put, put any more investment into it. Yeah, I, I think this is maybe uh, the one of the first cards that I, I disagree with, in the sense that I probably wouldn't take it over Skysweeper. Not that I don't think it's a strong card. 
but the main reason is just that I have found drafting slower decks uh, so difficult that this is not the card that would cause me to draft a slower deck. Do you know what I, do you know I, what I do mean? I do know what you mean, yeah. Yeah, and you may be right. Like, uh, how I feel about it right now is that I would take Bobble over Skysweeper so that I could draft that deck. And the missing ingredient for me in the slower deck is having a bomb like this um, to actually finish games with, because that's the difficult part, is finding a way to end the game. Uh, I'm not. It's not that hard to stabilize in this format. It's hard, but it's not, like, impossible. But... Um, but maybe I'll I will draft a crackling bobble or two, completely fail with those decks, and then change my mind. So it's it's a speculative pick for sure. All right, and then number eighteen is frontline healer, which is the three time time three two, deadly stealth ultimate. When you take damage or play another unit with stealth, reveal frontline healer to gain five health. Speaking of cards that stabilize well, um, <laughs> this is uh, maybe this is another uh, pick that's not obvious, but I really like this card, partly because uh, stealth units that have deadly are really hard for your opponent to actually play around. Um, I think this is the only one that you can play with just time uh, influence just say uh, well this this stealth unit just straight up has deadly and therefore will trade with anything um and there aren't a lot of effects that help you uh just sort of stop aggro but getting five free health is, is a pretty good way to do it yes i i agree um it's it is cool that it, it kills something uh, you know the main problem with this is that it has the two health so it's definitely not surviving a block and depending on your color combination, I guess with time, the fact that you have the three, three stealth guy makes people less likely to hit ping you for two. Yeah. That's always a risk in this format uh, is that a lot of people will just test your stealth unit um, by doing two damage to it, but it's less likely if you're playing time because it, it feels pretty bad to to I mean there's an uncommon three three there's a common three three there's a common one four and sure you're keeping that one four from drawing a sigil but you still uh, you still use two damage on a one four <laughs> so it's a risky play um, yeah. it's not always a wise play to use a, a blitz stone on a on a time stealth unit so uh, they would be getting very lucky indeed to actually take this thing out. Um, but also, like it, if you end up just playing another stealth unit the turn after you play Frontline Healer and just gain the five life, and now you have a 3-2 deadly, that's still fine. They still have to deal with that thing. Yeah, no, I, I, I agree. All right, so then number 17 Sanguine is uh, Sanguine Reaper. That is the four sh fire shadow, 3-3 three, three, flying charge quick draw. When Sanguine Reaper attacks, each player with a relic draws a card and takes two damage. This is a pretty cool card. I haven't seen it in play a lot, but I've been impressed with it when I have seen it. It's a little silly for it to have quick draw because there's nothing else this exact size in the air in this format. <laughs> like, there's no, there's no three threes. 
that it needs to quick draw into. Um, but uh, it also doesn't need the word quick draw to be good. It's already a 3-3 flyer for four with charge. Um, and then it's just immensely powerful if you, it's all, also drawing you cards. Uh, I have I've been in a situation where my opponent had a relic in play and they had a Sanguine Reaper, so they drew a card. But I also had a relic in play and so I also was drawing a card when the Reaper attacked, and it didn't feel so great because I was being smashed in the face with a 3-3 flying charge unit. <laughs> it's like, oh good, I have an extra card. Uh, also, it feels like I it feels like a 5-3 is hitting me. <laughs> so it's not I don't know if the extra card is gonna help. Yeah, it's 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 kinda interesting. I've uh this was one of those cards where it, it took me a minute to appreciate its full value because while yes, this uh its text can happen, there aren't like a ton of relics in the format. And so I kept like trying to about being like, I don't know if I should take this. I'm probably not gonna get a relic. I have to draw have the relic in play. And then you're like, wait a second. This <laughs> this is a four cost three three with flying charge and quick draw. Yeah, like, it doesn't need text. <laughs> and uh, and I think that's uh, one of the best reasons to have it on the list. Yeah, and and uh, it also plays very well with one of the easiest archetypes to draft effectively in the format, which is aggressive stone scar. <laughs> you know, like if you're like uh, stone scar, you can all you can sort of go into speculatively. Because it's fairly common to just pick up a bunch of skull breakers and then enough filler in shadow and fire to still have a good deck. And if you've also got a sanguine reaper, uh, that's exactly what you want to be doing: is to do a bunch of damage suddenly. All right, then number sixteen, prowling so Amarok, which is a two-cost fire primal two-two summon. Give prow prowling Amarok. Aegis or Quick Draw, when you attack with exactly two units, it gets plus two attack. Yeah, so this is Robo-Wolf. Um, this is a card that is being played and constructed, so there's got to be something to it. Uh, and I've had a couple of... I don't know if I've mentioned uh, yet on the podcast that I think Skycrag, when it's open, is the best deck in the format, but I'll, I'll stand behind that. And... Uh, Prowling Amaric is real hard to stop. <laughs> um, in uh, Constructed, uh, you always give it Aegis so that it's a, a hard unit to remove with a spell. In in Limited, in Draft, you probably give it Quick Draw. And then the first time it attacks, you're probably attacking with another unit. And a 4-2 with Quick Draw is incredibly hard to block, and then it gets worse. <laughs> yeah. So... I, I I actually had this in one of my Skycrag decks, and if they couldn't kill it immediately, it won the game um, because it's an immensely hard card to to not die to once it gets rolling. Yeah, and it costs yeah. two. <laughs> Undo. Yeah, I yeah I agree that giving it quick draw is definitely the play. It's really interesting because I've been playing the um, that throne deck. Um, that the Barbarian Camp brought to this last draft, or the the Throne Open this past weekend, uh, which is a Fire Time Primal, and it it um, has Prowling Emmerich in it. And 
I didn't watch the whole thrown open, but a couple of the matches I did watch, uh, someone was playing this deck, and I forget who it was off the top of my head, unfortunately. But they kept giving it, like, immediately giving a quick draw every time. And I was, like, really surprised, because when I'd been playing the deck on ladder, I almost always give it Aegis, because I'm so scared it will die. Um, and I can't imagine on ladder in most cases wanting to give it uh, just quick draw. But I do agree that if you are playing this on ladder, uh, even though you're always giving it Aegis more or less, when in draft, you should definitely give it quick draw. There's so many fewer ways to kill it in draft. Yeah. And there certainly are ways, uh, but um, but the question is how dangerous your two drop is if they can't kill it right away, and this is one of the most dangerous. Yes, but not right. so oppressive that I would complain about it. We're not at the complain point of the rares yet. Yes, though I I can imagine you. It is two color, so which puts it a little lower down the list. But this is definitely complainable. Uh, I'll certainly complain about it if my opponent kills me with it. All right. Uh, so next, Time Sketch. Time Sketch is um, a power card. It generates time influence. It's depleted unless you've already played a sigil this game. And it has Amplify 4, play a Training Camp. And Training Camp is a relic where once per turn you can pay 4 to make a 2-1 soldier. Uh, here's another card that eventually will win the game if you're in a board stall. And also, it's just a really good way to use four power whenever you have nothing else to do with it. Uh, make a unit? Yes, please. Yes. I don't have much more to say about it, though. <laughs> That's what it does, is it makes infinite two ones um, and is a great card to have in your corner if uh, you aren't able, in any in any situation where you're not trying to win the game quickly, uh, it's pretty good. It makes jump blockers, you know? Yeah, and then weirdly enough, because it's a power, even if you are trying to win uh, quickly, this is s such a low deck-building investment that it's still worth picking up early. It is, yeah. Um, and it's splashable. It can be the only time card in your deck because it pays for itself. Uh, is just sort of extra value in your deck without taking up a deck slot. Uh, that's why all of the sketches are good. I, I agree. And you think, man, paying four for a 2-1 is a lot, but if it has no deck building cost and you get into a board stall and then you start flooding the board, you know, that is a great way to push through that last point of damage. Yes, indeed. All right, then uh, next... Number 14, Dashing Scoundrel. So uh, this is a three-time time 2-2. Time two, two. It is a bard rogue. Uh, so I guess uh, dual focus class. <laughs> I have no idea. Oh, I was just trying to be cool and like use Dungeons & Dragons terminology, and then I realized I don't actually know it. I don't know the terminology. Forget that happened. Anyway, uh, it's a bard rogue. It has charge. It's a 2-2 two, two for three-time time with charge, and it says your attacking units have deadly. I think it's important to say that this unit does not need to be attacking in order for uh, your attacking units to have deadly. You have a lot of options with the Dashing Scoundrel. Uh, you, can, you can charge with it, 
and then it will have deadly itself. You can you can top deck it and then attack with everything but the dashing scoundrel, and everything will have deadly. You can throw the dashing scoundrel in there if you if you feel like it. Um, giving attacking units deadly is is very strong. It says all of them, all of your attacking units. So anything that was too small to attack into your opponent's blockers uh, is now a good attacker. Uh, and the large units uh, that have um, that have Ooh. deadly when they're attacking are mean that they will kill everything that blocks them. There's no way to like double or triple block them and only lose one unit. They'll kill all of them. So yes. it's a very, 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 very strong ability. Um, and I think that uh, there's not uh, like I probably we're probably getting to the point where I'm taking this over over hypnotic Valkyrie. I I still probably take Orin Jailer first, but we're getting close here. Yeah, it's interesting that you have this card, I think, so high up, because I have a feeling that the general populace might be lower on this card, at least based on some of the conversations that have been happening in Discord on Waxing Moon, where people are sort of debating how strong that card is is and people have sort of been talking about the deadly mode of that card being unimpressive and not liking waxing moon and dashing scoundrel is like half of a waxing moon on a stick yeah um but i am sort of in your camp i have found that giving all of your units um Deadly is a very powerful effect, especially when we're you're drafting decks like we've been talking about the last couple weeks with like a lot of one and two drops where you can sort of get a lot of units on board. And then if your opponent tries to stabilize with a couple big blockers, this suddenly makes all of your early plays relevant again, which has felt very powerful in in my opinion. Yeah, and the fact that you don't have to risk the card itself in order to keep giving your attacking units deadly uh, means uh, it just makes it even stronger. All right, then number 13 is Twisted Farmer, which is the 2-shadow 1-3 with Ambush. Amplify 1, play a 1-1 Mandrake that dies at the end of your turn. I'm pretty impressed with this card. Uh, It... It sort of doesn't look that strong, you know, because it makes units that don't stick around. Uh, but it scales extremely well. Anything that says Amplify 1 on it uh, should be considered uh, potentially very, very strong. <laughs> um, uh, and also, it's almost impossible to play around. There's not a lot of ambush units in the format. So you can get people pretty good with this. And uh, it's also a very granular card. Uh, in the sense that you make all of the 1-1 Mandrakes that you have power for um, block with just as many as you need to either stay alive or kill just the units that you want to kill. Um, And then on your next turn, you attack with everything that survived. Just do damage, um, uh, as much go-wide damage as you can. And, uh, uh, And then your Mandrakes die, having done quite a bit of work for you. Yes. Uh, it, and also, occasionally, you can even sacrifice one of them to get uh, additional value, although sacrifice is not a theme that's supported in this set very well. Um, but if 
uh, after the next draft packs shake up, they they do sort of push the uh, the sacrifice theme a little more. And I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if they did, because I'm a little surprised that they didn't already put some marsh dragons in there. Um, then these one then Twisted Farmer will be an even better rare. Yeah. Yeah. I think the the key thing to realize with Twisted Farmer is that they do not die at the end of the turn. They die at the end of your turn. Yes. Yeah. You so, get one turn of blocks and one turn of attacks with them. Yeah. And I think that has really made this card a lot more powerful. I also, it's also one of my favorite cards uh, to play with. Uh, oh, oh, what's it called? Glenn Shortcutter. Uh, the one, the, the the one drop two one. Path cutter. Path cutter. Path cutter. It's also one of my favorite cards to have in hand when a path cutter dies because I love having a three three ambush that costs two in my hand. <laughs> that is, that is good. Yes. Yeah. So the farmer can eat something all by itself. Anyway, it's a you know it's a good card. <laughs> all right, then number twelve is fire sketch, which. Uh, like all the sketches, is a power. It comes into play depleted unless you've played a Sigilus game, and then it has Amplify 3, play an Inferno Tower, and then gain a Fire Influence. And then if Inferno Tower is a relic where you can pay 3 to exhaust an enemy unit. This card is so obnoxious. <laughs> uh, it's my favorite sketch, partly because it's so cheap. Um, you, can, you can sneak in the three costs to make the Inferno Tower pretty easily. And then the Inferno Tower itself is uh, is hugely oppressive on the board uh, because your opponent has to play as though they have one fewer blocker than they have for the rest of the game. <laughs> it, it is, it's like, it's just a uh, hard advantage. Like, um, it, yeah, it, it makes your opponent's life very, very difficult. And... Uh, and that's exactly what Fire wants to be doing in this format. There's a lot of ways to make your opponent's blockers ineffective. And so you probably have some of those in your deck already. And so uh, anytime you have three power available, uh, you can probably do two of those effects in one turn. Uh, you get, you know, your, once you reach six power, you can, you can play your, um, your, your bard. <laughs> I can't remember the name of any cards. The four one that exhausts a unit. Uh, yeah, it's almost like having everything have charge or something, you know. Your opponent just has to play uh, as though they're down a unit constantly, so it makes it hard for them to race. Uh, it makes it hard for them to defend its, defend themselves. Uh, it's a very effective card. I, I maybe should have had it even higher on this list, um, because I found that once I have an Inferno Tower in play, it's going to be really hard for me to lose that game. And then also the fact that it has Amplify allows it to double up on itself. That's right. And on six power, you can play two of these, and then your opponent might as well not ever have blockers again. Uh, number 11. Uh, this is a three primal, two three uh, soldier, hidden crusader. When hidden crusader is revealed on your turn, draw a card. If he's revealed on the enemy turn, play a two two soldier. Uh, yes. So this is unapologetically my favorite card in the set. And I don't know why exactly. I just it's just so elegant. Um, it's a card that always gets way more value than you paid for. 
Um, it, let's say this card didn't have stealth, and you just uh, it was just either one of these modes. So it's a 2-3 three for 3 that draws a card. Great. <laughs> That's one of the best cards you've ever played in draft. Or it's a 2-3 three for 3 that makes a 2-2 two, two when it comes into play. Great. Best card you've ever played in draft. <laughs> the fact that it has stealth and then you have some amount of control over which one of those effects uh, you produce. Awesome. Uh, this is one of the reasons I get into Primal in this format, is I get an early Hidden Crusader, and then I'm like, probably going to win this draft if I can consistently make this thing. It doesn't win the game immediately. Like, you can't call this a bomb. It's the kind of card that because you played it, you win the game five turns later. Yes. Yeah, this is kind of an interesting card because it's such incremental value like it's definitely better than most commons and uncommons but not in a flashy way and it's just that it's like its base rate is just so much higher than those cards but yeah it's kind of an interesting card i i think the fact that this is number 11 is kind of a testament to the fact that there aren't too many bombs in this format. There, no, there aren't. We're we're getting to them in about two more picks here, but um, uh, but yeah, no, this is a card that I'm excited about. But you you wouldn't call it a bomb, and it doesn't take over the game by itself. Once it's had its effect, either it's drawn a card or it's made a two two soldier. It's uh, you don't your opponent doesn't have to worry about it in any big way anymore. Um, but it does for for a three drop. It does tend to take over the game um, mm-hmm. at that point. Like the the that's that's the point where the game shifts in your favor if you play the Hidden Crusader, uh, especially if they were foolish enough to like Blitzstone it or something. <laughs> like, ooh, I see a I see a stealth unit. Let me try to kill it and take away its reveal ability at least if I can't kill it. Not great with the Hidden Crusader because now you're getting hit with two units next turn. Yes. All right, then number 10 is Undercover Enforcer, which is the three cost. uh, Sorry. What is it called? Not neutral, factionless. The three cost factionless soldier, which is a two three stealth ultimate pay one, discard a card, and reveal Undercover Enforcer to play Disrupt. So this is only this high on the list because it is factionless, and so I'm very likely to take it high. But I do love the card. It lets you turn any card in your hand into a Disrupt. Disrupt um, either silences a unit or destroys a relic. And those are useful abilities. There's a fair number of relics in this format that you just sort of want to get rid of. Uh, But also just being able to silence a unit whenever you feel like is good. If this card gets revealed, then uh, you don't get to use the ability, which is a shame. Um, but the fact that it's factionless uh, means that I'm probably never going to cut it from any deck, which means that picking it up high is is probably a pretty good strategy. Yeah, no, I, I buy that argument. I think before this conversation, I probably wouldn't have had it that this high, but uh, I do like the fact that it is a powerful factionless card, and therefore you should pick it appropriately high. Yeah, it's a little like the sketches in that sense. None of the sketches would be this high if they weren't essentially colorless cards. Yes, exactly. 
All right. So I guess so this next pick nine. is going to be a controversial one uh, because we've mentioned it before. But I, I think I can stand by this card being genuinely a bomb. This is the point at which I think we can start complaining <laughs> for real because I hate losing to this card so much. And uh, this is Waxing Moon. So Waxing Moon is a four shadow shadow relic that says your units have deadly. At the end of the enemy turn, transform Waxing Moon into Waning Moon, uh, which uh, says at the beginning of your turn, you draw an extra card and take one damage. So uh, this is a card with duality. Uh, on, on every other turn, your units have deadly. Uh, and on every other turn, you draw an extra card and take one damage. I find that this thing completely takes over a game. And if you if your opponent plays it and you can't win immediately, or you don't have a plan to win over the next couple of turns, uh, it's it's going to win the game for them. Because <laughs> they're drawing extra cards, and then it's upgrading their units so that they can trade with anything every other turn. I found that that's very hard to play around. And it also feels real bad to lose to, because it just sort of sits there being obnoxious. <laughs> yeah, I... You can, listeners can go to our Discord and read the conversations about this where some people are down on the card. But I agree with you wholeheartedly that this card just seems so good and plays so well. Um, you know, sort of like everything we said with the time card, like the units have deadly immediately. So you get to play this. A space if you're able to. If you have a lot of useless units on board, they are now useful because they have deadly and can attack in. And then if you're not in a state to win the game when you play, when you give all your units deadly, you're then just drawing more cards and getting ahead. And, um, you know, it fuels itself. So it's like you get to next turn draw two cards play them and then the turn after those two cards now have deadly yeah yeah that's how it plays i agree uh it, it's it, it seems like uh, if you have this in in play for a couple of turns then it's really hard to it's really hard to lose if your deck is any good at all <laughs> yeah and they have deadly until the end of the enemy turn yeah so, so you can play this Attack with everything but one of your units. Leave that one back, and it's got deadly for your opponent's attack, so you can trade whatever their biggest unit is. Uh, so they probably can't attack you. It's yeah. very good defense for a card that doesn't have a direct effect on the board. I agree. I, I, it is a card that I am a fan of. So I would say that this is a bit like a site that ne that doesn't. Um, that just continually casts two spells over and over again. Yes, I think and that's a, that is a great analogy. Um, you know, the one thing that a site has that this doesn't is a, a site absorbs some damage for you often, which this will not. Um, that's but true. On the other hand, your opponent can't get rid of this more or less. Right. Yeah, it's an in, it's an indestructible site that won't tempt your opponent to attack it. So, uh, actually, superior to a site in that sense. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, so what's your number eight, then? Now we're talking about more classic bombs. This is Valise Bear Rider. Uh, four primal primal four four. Uh, when you attack with exactly two units, they get plus one plus one and overwhelm this turn. You draw a card, then discard a card. And it's an elf soldier. For some reason, not a bear. <laughs> Clearly a bear. Not actually a bear. Anyway... Uh, I've seen some debate on streams uh, about whether this is a bomb or not, and I think that's silly. <laughs> it's card selection and a and an attack boost and overwhelm, um, and it's a card that, like a lot of the uh, cards that uh, trigger when you attack with only two units, doesn't need to attack itself in order to have its effect. So it makes cannon fodder into genuine threats and then provides card selection to reload to throw more units at your opponent's face. It's a super good card. Also, it discards, which means that any discard synergy you happen to have can be activated at will. Yes. And the draw and discard are not based on hitting the enemy player or anything like that, which they often are. This is just as long as two units attack, you get the draw and discard. Okay. Yeah, immediately, before blocks even. So sometimes you can like shape your hand in an emergency if it comes to that. Yes. And, yeah, worst case scenario, it's a 4-4-4-4. Four, 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 four. Slightly better case where you have two, one other unit, it's now a 4-cost 5-5 five, five with Overwhelm that draws and discards a card, which is yeah. pretty, pretty good. Pretty good, pretty good card. I guess the downside is that it is a primal card and it does require two primal influence, so you're definitely playing primal if you play this in your deck. But one of the reasons that you would play primal is if you have super good cards to play, so it's not like it's a, a huge downside. Yeah. Yeah, then the only other minor downside is it doesn't really have any protection for itself. That's true. Uh, its best protection is that it doesn't actually have to enter combat itself in order to have uh, its effect, but um, uh, and also the, just the fact that it's kind of hard to kill a 4-4 in this format. There's a lot of yeah. 2 damage removal, and everything that kills something larger than that costs more than 4. So at least you're... Yeah. It's it's kind of in the sweet spot for, for removal in this format. Uh, there is except the spear, for, the 4-1 spear. Top, sorry? The 4-1 Spear. The 4-1 Spear uh, would be exactly the right size. Um, and also Topple, um, but uh, like everything dies to Topple. So it doesn't matter. But, like if you, if you have the biggest thing on the board, Topple is your nightmare. Yeah. But speaking of cards that do have inbuilt protection that are Indeed. super obnoxious. Number seven, Terius Martial Master. I don't know if I'm saying that right. Uh, but it's a three-time Justice 3-3 three, three Awakened Soldier with Aegis and Valor. And when Terius hits the enemy player, create and draw a 1-1 one, one Awakened with Valor. Uh, this thing is just an absolute nightmare. <laughs> it's so hard to stop. And it, it doesn't have, like, you can stop it with Deadly or something, but you can't kill it with spells. It's got Aegis. You can't kill it by blocking it. It's got Valor. <laughs> and then every time you can't stop it from hitting you in the face, uh, your life gets worse because now there's another unit attacking you with Valor. And 1-1 one, one, um, one, one units with Valor uh, don't seem like a threat when, they're, when they take up an entire card because you can just let it hit you for one. Um, but when it's the product of another card that is doing you damage, 
then it's just then it's just like uh, a slow avalanche. <laughs> yes, this card is. I I think in particular because I've lost to this card. I think like <laughs> a sort of a a statistically abnormal amount of times. <laughs> um, <laughs> Like a lot of my comrade opponents have played this card, and then I just immediately, as soon as it's like what you said, it attacks you on so many angles and is hard to deal with on so many angles that every time I think I have a way to deal with it, I realize that I don't. I'm like, oh, finally, I drew the spell that'll kill it, and then I'm like, oh, wait, still has Aegis, or I'm like, <laughs> oh, I drew another unit, oh, wait, blocking with more units doesn't help. <laughs> <laughs> yep. Yeah, it gets around those two problems really effectively. Uh, you can also you can always put a four four in front of it, but then it, even then they they trade equally, so you've lost tempo. Yes. And and if, and and not if they have any sort of format, no, there's not a lot. They're all they're all in Combray. <laughs> um, it's yeah, it's a real good card. Uh, it's the reason that you get into Combray, uh, kind of. Um, like it's it, it's a it's a good reason to force Combray. The only Combray deck that I've had that wasn't like abnormally aggressive that I've had success with in this format started with picking Terius. Yes. It also fills a spot on the curve that Combray kind of struggles with because your three drops in Combray aren't as impressive as your two drops and your four drops. You've got the four four for uh four four with Valor for four, and then you've got your two twos with Valor for two but then you've got a three two with valor for three and a three three without valor and those aren't quite as good they take you take a little dip in power but if you have terius you don't take a dip in power you take a huge leap <laughs> and just keep smacking your opponent with valor units that are nearly impossible to stop which is what you want to do if you're in combat yep and then you and then you draw one ones that can fill in your curve Indeed. Yeah, yeah, just throw those in whenever you've got a spare power. Uh, it plays really well. It's a very good card. All right, so this number six card I have not yet faced, so excited to hear about it. It's okay. uh, Sanity Scorcher, which is the three fire, two, two, double damage, stealth, intrigue, two, plus two, plus two. Makes sense why it's on the list now. Ultimate, at the start of your turn, reveal Sanity Scorcher to play Mind Fire. Uh, yeah, anything with Intrigue is good, but this is a good card. Um, this would be a great card even if it didn't have Intrigue, but the fact that it does makes it uh, makes it incredible. Mindfire is the spell that exhausts two enemy units uh, this turn. So what Sanity Scorcher does uh, is it does a lot of damage because it has double damage, but it also lets your entire team hit your opponent uh, without without any interference because you've taken away two of your opponent's blockers um and that means they don't have anything left to block with uh so if you if you played this as a five drop it's a four four with double damage which is a huge amount um and you probably only need to hit with it once and that's the number of times that you hit with it because you played mindfire that turn it's good i don't know i like no it, a it lot. seems great it seems like it ends the game you know on a lot of board states yeah, yeah, it really does. Um, even if you play it as a three drop, you probably put your opponent so far behind with chip damage 
uh, if you you know if you're playing an aggressive curve, you play the one drop, a two drop, then you play this thing, uh, that you probably win the long game, even if you don't win on the spot. Um, it just sort of does exactly what you want fire to do, which is take away your opponent's ability to defend and then smack them real hard. I yes. maybe have this a little high on the list because it feels like Terius is a better overall card, but this is not a dual faction card. This is a, a fire card that's even splashable because if you splash Sanity Scorcher and just have it as your finisher, finisher that you play on five, that's a perfectly reasonable thing to do. Yeah, I... I... I hmm. no, I, I like it. It's they're close. They're very close. Yeah, I think it's fair to say that they're close. Terius is more obviously um, uh, hard to deal with. Uh, I just find that I've had Sanity Scorcher in my decks, and it just wins games very consistently. Yeah, no, Sanity Scorcher. I feel like is maybe less, sort of like a slightly less good on curve play it's like it's fine i think if you played this on three it's not as backbreaking as terry you know like if you play this on three you're probably getting in a bunch of damage but you're not like winning the game um but if you play this late game you're probably winning the game yeah and I think it's that uh, it's that versatility uh, that I like about it so much. Um, yeah. Again, I like having options, and I like it when my opponent doesn't have options. And that's basically what Sanity Scorcher says on its card, is take away your opponent's options, and you have options. Yeah. Well, speaking of options, this one gets lets you pick any of your units. Number five is Guardian Angel, which is the six Justice Justice 5-5 five, five Flying Endurance, Summon, give one of your other units invulnerable to damage while you have Guardian Angel. This is the, the, the top five is the, are the cards that I would say are just like the insta-pick bombs. It's like, oh, yay, I opened a great card. I don't even have to think about this one. <laughs> Guardian Angel is the classic bomb in the sense that it is a, is a huge unit. It has evasion. And then it has some other text on it as well. It hardly needs it. I would pick this as a 5-5 five, five for 6 flying and endurance anyway. Also, it makes one of your units invulnerable. <laughs> it seems almost unfair. Yes. Yes, the only thing fair about this card, I was thinking about this while I was losing to it this week, <laughs> is that there, there's luckily a lot more interaction that kills it in this format than degrow from last format that's true there are ways of killing this Absolutely. so like while this does is very powerful and has a powerful effect and you're like how am i going to how can i possibly win like unlike degrow where there was literally no way to kill it th there's potentially a way you could deal with this card yeah yeah, Guardian Angel doesn't get harder to kill as time goes on, but Dicro did because it would get regen and, and it was impossible. Uh, and uh, and this doesn't dominate um, dominate the board by itself the way Dicro does, except that because one of your units has invulnerable, it can now block forever. So it kind of does dominate the board, but just in a slightly different way. Uh, yes. But you're right. There's a lot more removal that can kill this in this format. 
Um, and, and so therefore it doesn't feel like it's just invulnerable. Um, but that's why it's number five. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And what's interesting is it's still great because it still often will have some effect the turn it's played because the, you, you know, you do give a unit that's invulnerable that probably was on the board already that can get a sort of free attack. Um, so it's definitely a very strong card. Yeah. All right, number four. <laughs> number four is Azrog. Uh, Azrog Streetbreaker, who uh, costs six fire fire, is a six four, is a giant rogue, and has the following novel written on it. When you attack with exactly two units, deal four damage to an enemy. In Tomb, the top two units of your deck get plus four strength and charge. What a nightmare. <laughs> what an absolute nightmare. It's good thing it costs six because it's so dominant once it hits the board. Uh, because you probably, when you get to six power, have two units on the board. And even if they're two units that would have trouble attacking into your opponent's board, they're probably going to have a much easier time attacking after you do four damage to something. Uh, it's, uh, it's ridiculous. Uh, and then if uh, your opponent is able to kill Azrog, they can never sleep soundly again because the top no. two units of your deck can instantly win the game. Yeah, that's what's interesting about th these this top four is like you have this at number four. And I think that is valid because it is a double fire six cost unit. But th this still feels like the rare that when it is played, it it's like the strongest card of all the rares of when it's played, you just can no longer win the game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's utterly backbreaking. It's utterly street-breaking. Uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know if I've ever seen a game where Azrog got played... And then, and then that player lost somehow. Um, you have to be very brave to like a space after you've killed Azrog because who knows what your opponent is drawing off the top of their deck to, with four, plus four strength and charge. Yes, exactly. So the only saving grace is it is slightly hard to play. <laughs> yeah, it, it does cost six, which is going to be the top end of your curve in this format. But also, you're not unhappy to have this as the top of your curve. You can also do the four damage directly to your enemy's face. That's also a thing that you know if you have an Azrog in hand, is that your opponent is actually at four less life than they think they are. Yes. Yeah, and that's the thing. that this Because, like, all the other... Well, most of the other, when you attack with exactly two units, Azrog doesn't need to attack. So if you have two nope. units on board... You play Azrog, and she immediately has an effect. Yeah, yeah, you got that. You got that one one that replaces itself with a Justice Sigil that, that just hasn't been able to attack for six turns. Great, throw it in there. <laughs> it's doing four damage now. All right, so number three. Number th so as we said, Azrog uh, is a more powerful card once it's on the board than these next three cards, uh, but it costs six, whereas these other cards are super efficient. <laughs> One might say too efficient. Uh, number three is Kako the Bodyguard. 
is that is that the caco caco i don't like saying either one anyway uh it costs three justice it's a two two it has life steal and stealth uh at the start of your turn if caco is hidden he gets plus one plus one its ultimate ability is when exactly two enemies attack reveal caco to give them minus six strength this turn i don't think i've ever hated a card reveal more when this was spoiled, <laughs> I, 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 I said out loud, oh, so I don't attack with two units? <laughs> and, and, and that's the deal, is that I've never seen them print a card before that basically said, hey, remember that mechanic that this draft format is going to be focused on? Don't do that. <laughs> don't do that because your opponent might have this. Yeah. I, you know, I haven't seen this card played, and to be honest, it it still doesn't read that powerful to me, which makes me feel like I'm missing something. Well, um, here, here is the thing. Um, there's two things that can happen once, uh, once the bodyguard gets played. Uh, your opponent doesn't attack with two units, and your lifesteal unit grows a little bit each turn until you're ready yes. to make it a dominant force on the board by putting it in battle. The other thing... I th- and I think that's a great case scenario. That's what yeah. I think you want to happen. Well, the other thing that can happen is that your opponent attacks with two units and they both die because you played this card. <laughs> well, yeah, but but I think in that case, you're not playing this on three. You know, like... If you're playing this on three and then your opponent attack on the draw and your opponent attacks with their two drop and your three drop, you're playing detain, your opponent's not getting any damage in, but you're, you then have um, a two two that's not really punishing them for attacking with, with their zero attack uh, units. Well, if, if, well, you probably get to kill one of them because a two-two can probably kill, you know, something that your opponent has. Um, yeah, that's... but that doesn't happen very often. Um, I, I, I would say that uh, usually you've got something else to do on three if you're in a situation where your opponent is going to immediately attack with two units. I think the worst case scenario for this card is when your opponent can attack unexpectedly with two units before you're ready, uh, like mm-hmm. with a unit that has charge or something like that. Um, because normally when you play this card, you've got a pretty good idea of what your opponent is capable of doing. Uh, you know whether they're likely to play, whether they're likely to attack with two units next turn or not. You're rarely going to have to play this specific three drop on three um, because you probably have other cards in your hand. And so you get to play this when you want to. You can play it when your opponent has only one unit on board, and therefore it's going to grow. And you can also uh, you can also play it um, later in the game when you are hoping that your opponent will attack w- with two units, and your plan isn't necessarily to block with... Kako, but with your other units that are ready to absorb two units that have detained played on. Yes. Yeah, I think I think it's probably a lot better than I'm giving credit for because I'm like I in my head I keep 
thinking of it in its worst case scenario, but that's actually for this card such a narrow band that it's unlike some cards, it's not really worth thinking about for this card. Yeah, the best way to play around this card is to psychically know that it's what your opponent played <laughs> and then attack with two units strategically in a way where having detain cast on both of them doesn't get them both murdered. <laughs> That's really yes. hard to do. Your opponent doesn't have a lot of control over the situation when you play this. The only the best option, uh, which is admittedly a good option, is uh, to immediately uh, do two damage to it with like a Blitzstone or something. Yeah, um, And that's uh, definitely a consideration because uh, that's what you want to do if your opponent plays a Justice Stealth unit anyway, because they don't have more than two... They don't have more help. than two help. So uh, it's a it's often a wise decision, but that it just means that this isn't a card that you always play on three. Um, it's the card that yeah. you... Yeah, and it's, even it's, then, you've got several Stealth units in your on exactly three. Yeah. Yeah. And, you, uh, you know, if you play a three power stealth unit and then your opponent uses two of their power to kill it and they're probably not doing anything else that turn, you're probably still ahead on tempo. All right. So then number two. Number two, D'Angelo Houndmaster. Uh, this is a this is an unapologetic bomb and it only costs two power. It costs two fire. It's a two one. It has quick draw and valor. Uh, it is a soldier. Uh, and then it actually wouldn't need any other text to be a very, very good card. But it does have text. <laughs> when you attack with exactly two units, you may pay power equal to the number of cards in your hand to play a 4-4 Hellhound that is attacking. Um, and uh, the text that is not on this card, and probably should be, <laughs> is, and the 4-4 Hellhound dies at the end of the turn. It doesn't die. You just make a 4-4. Four, four. Yep. Oh, boy. Which makes it a lot easier to attack with two units next turn. It really does, because you've got a 4-4 four, four that you paid like two for. Oh, man. Uh, I don't think there's uh, a card in the in the format that I windmill slam faster than this, except, of course, for our number one card. But uh, <laughs> it, Houndmaster is, is insane. It's impossible to block itself um, because it has quick draw and valor. You have to come up with something that has four health uh, at, uh, at a cost of two or three, which is very difficult. There's only a very small handful of cards that can block it. So unlike a lot of the other cards that require you to attack with two units, um, it can just jump in there itself most of the time. Any combat tricks makes this thing indestructible. Uh, it, and it can it doesn't have to come down on turn two if you don't want to risk it getting removed. You can have two units on board, throw down Houndmaster, and because it only costs two, if you've been playing all of your, you know, if you've got your hand down to a reasonable size, immediately make an attacking 4-4. Four, four. Um, it's, it's, it's an astoundingly powerful card. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the only positive for this card is that it does die to a stiff breeze as far as interaction. Oh, sure. Oh, um, sure. Any removal spell kills it, except, of course, for gun down, because it has quick draw. But <laughs> um, a lot of And spell... to topple sometimes a little difficult to pull off. Topple, also not great against it. Yeah. But, but it dies to just about... It dies to every, every 
relic weapon except diplomatic immunity. So there are a lot of ways to kill this. So I we we hear a lot of stories in Discord about people who are very excited about their Houndmaster deck and then their Houndmaster immediately dies. So you do have a lot of these these sad stories. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um but the fact that there's counterplay against a very very powerful card doesn't mean that it's not a stupid powerful card. Uh it is. Um I I, I there's nothing there's I, I don't know. I've never seen it. I don't think I've ever seen such a strong two power card in draft, frankly. No, it's so it's so crazy that it's a rare. It's just so powerful. Yeah, this could easily be a legendary and you'd be like, good. I don't ever want to face this thing. But um, speaking of cards that don't have any counterplay. Yeah, pretty close to nothing. Uh, number one uh, rare that uh, uh, that I think is worth complaining about is Manacles. Uh, I love that there's no like adjective here or anything it's just manacles uh this is a three justice cursed relic uh when you summon it you stun two enemy units they stay stunned while you have manacles when either one of them readies or dies sacrifice manacles what why what <laughs> is my commentary <laughs> it's a it's a removal spell for two units that costs three. That seems fair, right? <laughs> yeah, and they didn't even give us anything. Like you said, they didn't add sacrifice as a theme in this nope. in this version. Not a we didn't get their theme. perennial favorite draft pack card of siege provisions. Nope. That would have that would have been a good way to uh, destroy manacles. But instead, there's hardly any cards that ready a unit uh there there's there's the uncommon uh well-laid trap uh which i actually like having in my deck just in case somebody plays manacles but i've never actually had that interaction happen in one of my games where i get to destroy my opponent's manacles with a with a well-laid trap uh, but in the draft packs there's nothing that kills this their uh thorn beast is boosted so you can free one of your units by killing the other one, which is still doesn't feel great. Um, there's stuff like burnout uh, that could potentially, you know, get your opponent, you sacrifice the smaller unit and bring the other one back into play. But those things are unlikely. Uh, it's, it's, it's a really difficult card to play around and you can play this thing on turn three and win the game because of it. If your opponent got a strong start, uh, you can completely negate their start with manacles and start hitting them with your own stuff. Uh, but also, you can just uh, get rid of their two biggest units later in the game if you top deck it. Or you can get rid of their two biggest units later in the game if you've been planning to do so for several turns. It gives you a lot of options, and all of them result in your opponent losing the game. Yeah, and there's just like not a lot of units with endurance. Not a lot of units have rarities. Nope. Very few units have endurance, uh, hardly any in Revelations, um, and then there's only a small handful in the draft packs. Uh, it essentially just says uh, just says this card kills two of your opponent's units permanently, um, and that's like ninety percent of the games that you play this in, maybe higher than that, because I've rarely seen manacles broken. I guess they thought that by putting extra an extra way of killing the card like on the card that it sort of balanced it automatically, but they have to actually put those cards that fulfill those requirements 
in the game so that we can use them. Because uh, this right now plays as as just an I win the game card for three power. Um, and there's nothing, there's absolutely nothing I would take over it in any situation. Because it's also splashable because it, it only costs one justice. Yeah. Yeah, the one thing I will say is, I yeah, for maybe newer drafters, this might not seem as powerful because you're not removing the units. It's not a flashy body or anything. But the fact that you are permafrosting two units for three cost on one card is very very powerful normally the way you rate bombs is that you put them over removal because you would rather have the dangerous threat than the way of getting rid of dangerous threats uh but manacles is the point at which you put removal over bombs because it is just that insane yes because it is two removals (laughs) it is in fact two cards in one (laughs) Uh, i am hoping uh, when they do the draft packs that they put siege provisions back in the in the boosted column so that we have sort of a natural out to this thing and even other cards that are natural out to this thing because I, I there's nothing that feels less fair than getting manacles in this format um like it can feel uh, overwhelming to, uh, if somebody summons azrog against you and it can feel uh and it can feel like you're probably doomed if somebody get, uh, gets Houndmaster down. But there's nothing like just not being able to use two cards that you already played when somebody manacles you. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's so it, depressing. It, I, and I think what makes it worse with manacles is, like, with Azrog, you're, like, losing the game really quickly after they play Azrog. Manacles yeah. on three... You still got a lot of game to play that you were very, <laughs> very unlikely to win. You're just so far behind at that point. All your plans were for not. Yeah. Yeah. You're like, oh, how are those two Ursa squadrons uh, <laughs> treating you? Uh, it's like, oh, well, those were my plan to win the game, really. And now, now I have no more plan. Yeah, it's a bummer. If there were more relic removal, that would be another way of getting rid of manacles, but there's not a lot. Uh, so yeah, it's just an unusual situation where where the best rare in the format uh, is removal, and that's and that's kind of the threshold at which that happens is when your is when your removal card kills two things because they don't do that that often, and they don't cost it at three normally. A sane yes. group of developers would not cost the double removal spell at three. <sighs> All right, cool. Well, I think that was a great summary of the rares. I think we got yeah. some complaining. We, I think we illuminated some interesting uh, ways to use these different cards. I hope good episode cathartic, all around. Cathartic for some of you. Yeah. L- looking at this list, besides for Azrog, there's nothing on this list that was as frustrating as Decoros to me. No, no, I don't think it's as bad. Uh, uh, Tykra also stood out because there weren't a lot of really terrible rares in, uh, I mean, and I guess I mean not terrible, but terrifying uh, rares in the last set. The rares were kind of calmed down a little bit. And so Dicro stood out as being a ridiculous, like, first pick windmill slam card um, in a format that didn't really have very many. Yes. And it really, the only way to deal with it, more or less, was send to market, which was in that color. 
So it felt a little worse. Um, yeah, there's not the other than the top five on this list. Like these rares aren't like, crazy and and don't feel totally unfair. Um, but uh, I guess the, it does feel like the bodyguard shouldn't be Kako. The bodyguard shouldn't be uh, this high on the list. But I found that it plays um, like it's punching way above its weight. So. Because you did mention diplomatic immunity, I do want to just briefly say that I did keep my promise and draft a diplomatic immunity and put it in a seven win deck. In fact, it was a seven zero deck, so and it was very good in that deck. So uh, uh, that it is possible. I don't recommend doing it because that deck is difficult to draft. The sort of relic heavy Argentport deck. Um, but it, it was good. Uh, we did. Ex- I did exactly what we speculated about and um, played path cutters so that I could make the diplomatic immunity a two three, and uh, you know a two three that makes a treasure trove is a good card. So it was a fun deck, um, and uh, and I wasn't completely completely talking out of my ass. <laughs> you can say it, Hat. Take that Reddit commenter. <laughs> Take that, Reddit commentator. (laughs) (laughs) But please comment on this episode and tell me what I got wrong this time as well. (laughs) We we appreciated it, but seriously, take that. (laughs) All right, so so that's our show this week. Uh, Thanks again um, for everyone who supports the show week after week. That's uh, you, the patrons. Uh, You really help make this show success. And for those of you who are not patrons, a reminder to give us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Stitcher, or Google Play. Join us in our Discord. There's a link in the show notes. Finally, thumbs up all of Raven, Raven Dragon's Reddit posts. Comment there if you want to be told how wrong you are. Um, <laughs> and don't forget to send all your 7-1 deck lists you do this week to farmingeternal at gmail.com. Because hopefully John will eventually come back and put those in a spreadsheet. And And remember to keep on farming. Remember to keep on farming. (laughs) (laughs) Have a good night. Goodbye.